Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And in this episode, I'm welcoming back a young man who made a brief appearance in the AJ Bell Tour of Britain special from the comfort of the massage table. I'm talking, of course, about Connor Swift. Now, what can I tell you about Connor? Well, he was British national champion in 2018, and more recently he won Trobro Leon, and he tells a cracking story about the photo finish in that race. He's got an impressive dog with his very own Instagram account. He's got a very tactical approach to eating steak bakes from Greg's, the British bakery chain. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, keep on listening. He's a self-acclaimed late bloomer. He's only 26, but he feels like he's starting to really develop as a rider. But what does he know about the oldest goldfish in Doncaster? Don't worry, folks. I ask all the important questions on this podcast. So stick your feet up, grab a brew, but perhaps do that before you stick your feet up for safety reasons and enjoy the Connor Swift episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Connor Swift is a talented young rider who continues to impress in his steady progression, going from national road champion with Madison Genesis to Team Dimension Data as a stagiaire. He's now riding with pro team Arkea Samzik, taking his first victory at Trobro Leon, a cult favourite on the calendar. We talk about his love for that race and his plans for a packed early season. Now, we recorded this chat a few days before Milan San Remo, so why not listen out for Connor's eerie prediction about the outcome of that race? Check it out. Connor, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me along. Cheers. Well, yeah, the last time we chatted would have been um, a mini pod. You had a mini segment, didn't you, within the Tour of Britain special podcast we did? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll, uh, that'll have been the it last was, time, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to think if our paths, if we've physically seen each other IRL in real life, don't think we have. We've only podded. Only potted, mate. But uh, can you, but for the the benefit of last time I spoke, you're in a uh, in a hotel somewhere with a distinct lack of biscuits, weren't you? Yes, um, I was on the massage imagine- table. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. And uh, everybody I interviewed on that pod, um, I, I had a biscuit quiz lined up, and nobody had any biscuits, so it, was a re- it fell really, really flat. So we're going to bin that off. There's no no biscuit chat today. Um, but what I would like you to tell the listeners and myself, it just gives a sense of where you are. So where in the world are you, Connor? And what can you see immediately around you? Yeah, I'm just at home at the moment, uh, sat at the breakfast bar. There's uh, there's uh, some grapes in front of me, uh, a little bowl that I just had some yogurt in. And uh, I've got the, the dog sleeping on the sofa. So I'm hoping he's going to stay sleeping during this podcast because he's due a walk soon. <laughs> <laughs> is he? All right. Is, I've seen your, is it, have you got quite a big dog? Uh, I'd say he's on medium, medium to large, yeah. Hungarian Vizsla, so uh, full of beans. Uh, but yeah, when he stands up on his back paws, uh, yeah, his front paws can probably touch your shoulders. So he's probably classed as a big dog, but he seems small. It's, yeah. Um, for the, those of uh, those of you or me, or, I, I don't know much about dogs. I'm going to be honest with you. Can you describe um, if if I you just if I just landed on a, a planet? Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No. Yeah, just, <laughs> please describe to me the dogs. I don't know what brand or what variety it is. So what does he look like? Yeah. So he is a hunting dog. Um, right. So he's got big floppy ears. Um, he's good looking. He's a good-looking dog. We're not going to not going to choose an ugly, <laughs> ugly dog. <laughs> his 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 short-haired uh, 
it's called yeah. a rustic uh, rustic gold. That's his actual um, color, but he's actually pretty much ginger, I'd say. Um, right. And yeah, medium to large size dog, uh, mm. long legs, you know, slim, slender. Yep. He follows me on the bike, yep. so he's, he's 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 pretty fit. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a good looking pooch. <laughs> a good good looking pooch. I think I've seen you. You you've been mountain biking with him, and he follows you along. So he's got to be like you say. He's got to be in decent nick. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, we've got him a little Instagram, TJ the Trail Shredder. We call him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he loves it on the mountain bike. I, I even took him out yesterday. I've got I've got an e mountain bike now, so it makes it even easier for me, but a bit harder for him, I think. Blimey. There you go, mate. No, um, yes. Uh, no, I just wanted to get a set just because I know he's a, an, an integral part of your family, really, isn't he? So I just wanted to, and I think we, we could definitely encourage people listening to the pod to go and follow him. You might get a little bit of a boost on, on his on his Instagram following, mate. But um, yeah, follow his adventures. But mate, you've had some fantastic adventures already this year. You've had a really cracking season. How has the season gone for you? Are you pretty happy where, where you are? Because I know you're down for Milan San Remo and we're recording this on Thursday and you're, beginning, you're racing Saturday, aren't you? So um, only a few days away. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you know, hit, hit the season with the ball rolling, really. Um, you know, kind of up there on GC at Bessage and Tor of Algarve. And then um, I did an epic race in Spain, Saint Juan, uh, I think it's called, unless I'm pronouncing it in a French way here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like off-road gravel sectors uh, where Lusenko like obliterated the field. But uh, I came away with fifth there, and you know those sort of gravelly type of different style one-day races, I really really enjoyed them. So that was a cool race to do for the first time ever. And then following on from that, I had on loop, uh, not really my day there, uh, which I was a bit disappointed with. Um, but then I've just came back from Paranese where I was helping Quintana and he, he finished fifth overall. So um, that's what uh, I've done. And then obviously Milan San Remo this Saturday. And and you forgot another cheeky little uh, stage race, uh, the Tour of the Algarve, World Algarve as well, where you're 12th on GC, mate. You forgot that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that, that was that was nice. First time in Portugal. Uh, yeah, can't can't grumble with the weather at this this time of year. You know, uh, just uh, shorts and jersey uh, is pr- pretty nice. Yes, you've had quite an intense start to the year. That I, I counted with the GP Marseille, which was the season opener, twenty one days of racing, um, and all pretty intense. And and is it fair before we we do a bit of a deeper dive in, into the races you've done? I've noticed over the last couple of years you've been getting pretty handy, mate, haven't you? At the old time trial, so you're twelfth. <laughs> In Bessage, I think you did a top 10 ride there last year. 10th in the TT um, in uh, Algarve as well. So you, is, is that something you're that you're actually focusing on getting better at? Because you've obviously won um, short stage races in the past. You, you took a victory in one last year in, in France. But is that something that you're really focusing on, mate? Because it's not something you've been renowned for in the past, but clearly you're, you're doing exceptionally well at it. Yeah, it's, it's you know something that I'm always you know plugging away at. Um... I started cycling with triathlon, so I was all like kind of on the time trial bike, and then moving into cycling. Um, yeah, it's something that I've, I did when back when I was back with Madison Genesis. You know, the evening club tens on a Wednesday night, ten mile. You know, going there week in week out. You know, trying to beat beat my time, and um, it's something that I really love doing. And obviously, I train often. And at this level in the sport, it's it's bloody hard to try and get a result <laughs> time trialing. Yeah, so you've really got to be yeah. a specialist and be switched on and 
you know, the, the team this year, they've, they've had me in the wind tunnel. Um, I'm due another, an, another time to go in, in April. Um, so it's just so it's just that constant, you know, plucking away at it and hopefully the results will come further down the line. But I would like to say at the moment, I'm, you know, pretty consistent, can put out a decent time trial, but, um, there's still work to be done. And, uh, yeah, it's obviously it's important to be able to do one, uh, cause otherwise I wouldn't have won the, the stage race that I won last year without, you know, doing a solid time trial performance. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's something that I love, love a discipline that I really enjoy and, um, yeah, just, you know, year in, year out, you know, always trying to improve and hopefully one day I'll, uh, get a time trial win. Yeah. I mean, looking at the, I think the, the standout one for me. Um, this year, if only done a couple, what would be the one in Algarve, like top 10, and just in front of Dylan Van Baal, just behind David Godu. You know, Evna Pol pretty much obliterated everybody else. 51k an hour he did, everybody else was below 50. Yeah. But that, you must have been really happy with that ride because that, and that was a really long TT as well, wasn't it? 34k. So you, you seem to be able to perform well, whether it's a short 9 or 10k TT, right the way up to. Um, this one because that's going to be one of the longest ones aside from the tour that you've done isn't it yeah yeah definitely um yeah I, I was i was happy with that um myself i think potentially just edging in front of dylan van Baal, you know that's k- kind of like not to be um you know disregarded because he's a, a solid uh t t tier and a bloody strong guy mm. so um yeah you know uh he might have been on a bit of an off day but, but we'll see uh, for the next duel but um but yeah no i was happy with that that ride that day and um, looking ahead to Milan San Remo, so you're when when do you actually fly out? You must fly because I'm flying out to commentate tomorrow. Do you fly out tomorrow as well? Yeah, tomorrow as well. Yeah, uh, fly from Stansted. So um, so yeah, catching the train down there and a pretty chill travel day. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a long one. It's is it your first time at that race? Yes, I've uh, never ever raced it. Never ever done the recce with the team. But after Paranisa. I actually stayed an extra night and then wrecked the last, you know, 55k. So that was that was nice to do on Monday, nice one. Um, and just get a bit of a sense for you know what's what's to come in that that hectic final. I've been look uh, as part of my prep for for commentating. We're doing that. Me and Ned are doing the bolting and doing the whole race flag to line. So we're going to need our own musette and feed zones as, as well as you guys. But it's a really long long day out, and um, the thought is quite interesting reading about what people think is going to happen in the race. And increasingly, people are thinking that it's not going to be one for the sprinters. I mean, what what, what are your thoughts on it? And what actually, importantly, is your role going to be in the team? Uh, yeah, so obviously we'll have Buani there. And um, myself is, obviously Buani is the, the main main leader, but I, I think myself on the day will you know, have, have my opportunity, uh, potentially if things do kick off, um, earlier and it doesn't actually come down to a you're a normal sprint um you know with the likes of Podjica and Van Aert uh, and especially if you've seen the wind you know strong strong cost cross tail yeah um yeah I, I honestly believe this this year we're going to see something totally different and I think potentially the Chipressa is going to be uh raced as if it's the Poggio so um yeah we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see and uh hopefully the legs are good but um but yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see, won't we, on, the, on Saturday? 
Yeah, I'll be I'll, I'll be cheering you one, mate, because it is a proper proper epic. And, and what were your thoughts on on riding the last fifty k's? I mean, is that the first ever time you've actually been up the pod even in training? So this was literally on Monday, the first time you saw and experienced those climbs. First ever time in Italy. Can you believe that? Never ever really set Ser- foot in Italy. <laughs> Ser- seriously, seriously, yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. I was- oh my god, you've been you've been a you've been a pro for ages, mate. I mean, that's just. Uh, well, you were obviously with the French team and the British team before, but that has slightly uh, just slightly blown my mind. Yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? God. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was supposed to do Milan San Remo last year, but I actually got sick after Paris. And then and right. then this year, I, I should have actually been doing three weeks in, in Italy. I should have done Strade, Torino and Milan San Remo. Um, but the, yeah. the plan got changed a little bit. So, uh, yeah, my first actual time in Italy was just on Monday. And obviously then I'm off back out there uh, tomorrow. So, um but yeah, obviously that's the first time ever doing the Poggio and it was nice just to do the Cipressa and actually realise that pinch point right at the top of the Cipressa where you pass the church. Um, that's quite yeah. an important factor for actually the descent. Um, and then yeah. I did. I thought the Poggio was about 14k to go, but it's actually nine. Um, so that was nice yes. just, to, yeah. just to actually realise and just to get a feel for the gradients as well and then and then both descents of those those two climbs, um, yeah, it was it was uh, good to good to recce. And, and when you look, Connor, at the at your improvement, you know, all the way back to winning numerous rounds of the Tour Series, British Road Championships, Stagiaire with uh, Quebec, Quebec as they were then known, and then three years with Arkea, you've made this really really steady progression, and it's. It's quite clear now from from the wins you've had and the, the consistency that you're deliv- you're delivering as a leader, but also working in the service of Nairo and, and, and others, um, that you've really established yourself as one as one of the, the, the de facto leaders of that squad. The way that the team clearly markets it market itself, you are um, one of the the big riders. How does that actually feel um, to you? Have you have you grown into that? Does it feel strange? How does how do you feel now as part of a as as part of the leadership of that squad? Yeah, I, I would say it is uh, quite strange, but also, uh, you know, nice. And, um, you know, I, I, I grab the opportunities when I get them, you know, with both hands uh, at the same same sort of time. Um, I'd say it is, it's, I don't know, like uh, different sometimes because, you know, going into bigger races, you know, we've got a guy like Quintana who's, you know, pretty much a really big guy in the sport um, and then yeah potentially me going into some races being a, in a bit of a leader role as well um, yeah I, I don't know I've not really thought about it it's just kind of you know just kind of happened potentially off of the back of the season that I had last year you know uh, winning a couple of races um, and now the team having that sort of confidence in me you know to be able to pull off a, a win in a race um, as well and you know the teammates are confident in my ability as well so it's just it's just nice to you know nice n- nice to uh have i suppose <laughs> yeah and can you give us a sense as well of what it's like of what the ideology of the squad you've clearly settled in actually how, how's your french uh yes yeah, i'd say it's all right you know um yeah 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 not not too bad not too bad it's i, I get by i can have you know i can easily speak on the massage table or Potentially, if I'm there a day or two before the race, and there's literally just me and a couple of French assistants that only speak French, you know, I get by. I can have a conversation at the dinner table and things like that. So 
I'd say I'm oh, I'm, very cool. I'm happy with the standard, you know, that I've learned. Uh, for sure, I still yeah. would still like to learn more. Uh, but at the moment, you know, it's it, I'm not hitting any like struggles of. Uh, I, yeah, I'd say that I've, I use Google Translate a lot less now <laughs> compared to when right, I first joined right. the team. <laughs> yeah, did I mean in those first when similar similarly to myself, when I went to race as an amateur many years ago, 30 years ago, it's pretty much in the deep end. It's not a language I took at school. Um, I only had a, a, a few words and initially struggled. But being immersed in a French team is actually quite good because you it's very much sink or swim, isn't it? And of course, now you've got access to uh, to Google Translate and stuff like that. But uh, well, well, what, how long did it take you to, to feel really comfortable from a, um, a language perspective in the, t- in the team? Uh, I'd probably say maybe last year, you know, last year that mark coming up to around two years with the team, you know, probably taken, you know, yeah. a good, a good two years to, especially like after the winning Trobro, I was like, I felt confident, you know, I could do an interview sort of in French and wing it almost. And, you know, start yeah. if, if someone comes up to me and says, Oh, do you want to uh, speak in French or English? I'd, I'd say French because, you know, just to show a bit more respect and, because I can, you know, speak it. So um, I'd probably say last year. Um, and it's just so funny, you know, looking back to when I, I first joined the team, just chucked right in. I was just really naive and thought, you know, a French team, everyone's going to be able to speak some English. And uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was really wrong there. It wasn't <laughs> just like the first race I did was the four days of Dunkirk, I think it was, and. Um, yeah. I can remember, you know, the team meeting all French, race radio is all French. We start crosswind. Oh, there's the dog. The dog's away. <laughs> I think the dog's up. <laughs> <laughs> Wanting my attention. Uh, yeah, we start with crosswinds and uh, just getting a load of French in the race radio. Um, I, uh, I was like, what the hell am I in for here? And um, <laughs> I had the, the brakes on my bike the wrong way around as well. And uh, I oh, remember no. the first stage, it was just an absolute nightmare. And thinking in the hotel room after that stage, I was like, oh, no, I've just signed for a year and a half with a French team thinking everyone can speak French. And today's just probably been one of the worst race days I've ever had. And I, I even oh my introduced God. myself. Obviously, of course, I'm the new signing of things. And I can remember I went up to the mechanics and said, uh, bonjour, je m'appelle Connor. And they all laughed. I just turned up in the car parking. Obviously, in my car because I drove over there. Obviously, with UK yeah. reg plates and uh, yeah, went and introduced myself. But um, yeah, made a bit of a numpty myself, basically. <laughs> that's funny. It's it, it's it's nice that you can look back and laugh at me. But flipping egg, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I had again the same thing when I went to France. Obviously, sent all my bike sizes over, crank length, and all that sort of stuff. Jumped on first training camp. Um, I nearly came off as soon as I break for the cadet. I just didn't think and locked up the back wheel straight away. Um, so, <laughs> I, I, have you? Did, did you? Oh, yeah. Manage to I, swap them around, or, or, or are you now the? Are you are you now riding continental brakes? No. Uh, so I'm still set up like UK. Uh, yeah, I'm not on European brakes. Right. So I'm still uh, set up right. as I was before. And yeah, I can remember in the neutral zone, I was like, oh no, almost crashed like three <laughs> times. Um, <laughs> Especially when the flag drops and you know you're in the gutter and we're crosswinds, it was just horrendous. And then obviously after that stage, I, oh, I explained to them, "Oh, I need need it changing." And then, and then there was actually a there was a TT. Uh, I think it was Belgium tour, and I'd not even been on one of the time trial bikes before. 
so the, obviously they changed right. all my road bikes. That was all fine. And then I came and raced like again a month later. And then the time trial bike was set up different. Obviously, I nearly crashed in the time trial as well. Uh, but yeah, all, all, all my bikes <sighs> now, are they're, they're all all right. It just, uh, I just, hopefully I never have to uh, give someone a bike in emergency because that could cause a problem. <laughs> I, I would imagine. Um, what about Dan McClay? It's, and he's, he's a little bit taller than you, though, isn't he? He's a big lad. Has Dan got his, the, the other one, um, the Continental Wear Round, or is he the same as you? Uh, just interested no yeah he's, he's literally ev- everyone else on the team is you know the continental it's just it's just me on the team that's reverse and i think i think there's a couple of other riders in the pro peloton but there's not there's not many um yeah so uh so yeah it's pretty pretty unique <laughs> oh fair enough mate fair. oh um we've got um something going on in the background actually um random sorry question about this alert. mate random question alert Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Really, really sorry about that, Connor. Um, the lads at Sigma, as part of my contract, installed a, an old supercomputer from the 1960s in my uh, loft. Um, and every now and again it goes off. I've just gone over, torn off um, like a big old piece of computer paper. And I've got a random question that you are obliged to answer, if you don't mind. Are you ready for this one, mate? Yeah, go on. It's, I've never seen this question before. Um, well, here we go. It's, it, it's, it's an interesting one. Okay. Other than cycling it, what is the best use for a bicycle? Very strange, random question. So other than cycling on it, what do you think, Connor, is the best use for a bicycle? Uh, <laughs> God almighty. Good question, eh? Uh, yeah. It's a... You can put some wetsuits over it and dry your wetsuits out, can't you? That's a, do you know what that is? So no, like a it's, it's, like a clothes dryer, yeah, almost. Yeah, I'd, I'd say right. Yeah, good, good, uh, good clothes dryer, wetsuit dryer. Just thinking in the garage, Brilliant. you know, you've been to the beach, you need something, you know, pop the wetsuits over it, and it's it's only the the top tube that's on the wetsuit material, isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> that's a great idea. I must admit, and a few times on training camps back in the day, and even now when I want to take my bike on bike races, um, I need to wash my kit. And and a lot of the cheaper hotel rooms don't have that. They don't have a lot of hangers. They, they really so your bike is the ideal place to, to dry kit. I mean, um, you can put your bib shorts over the, the brake levers. That's it. And um, like you said, you can. Um, and even when I I take my underpants, just wash wash them in the sink, wring them out in a towel, drape them over the top tube. I mean, it is a ready-made clothes horse. I think that's probably the best answer. Um, cracking answer. Yeah, I'm happy Absolutely with that, fantastic. actually. Yeah. Off, yeah, off the cuff. Yeah, well done. So, <laughs> straight off the bat, because I was thinking, what can could you use it to plough a field? Could you use it as a piece of sculpture? Um, or, or turn it into a boat? Um, but then that would be turning it into something else, wouldn't it? So yeah. it's just what it is. So I think, yeah, something static. Or, and... and Bikes are also quite nice to look at. Actually, on that question, mate, have you still got the bike that you won the National Road Race on? Uh, not the bike that I won the race on. That's actually at Madison. But I've got the the two champs bikes, you know, hung up in my garage. So they're uh, nice. Nice bit of art there. Nice. They are, they're beautiful. I, I was a, a bit... I never had a, a, a pimped up bike, unfortunately, uh, but my dad has still got my Nationals bike from back in the day. Actually, while we're talking about the National Road Race... That was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, um, that that wonderful victory you had up in up in the northeast, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, what was the cir- what was the circuit? Because it's a premier calendar circuit. I can't remember the name of the uh, Beaumont um, Beaumont circuit. It's on the Riles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it goes up, up the Riles. I mean, what? I mean, 
We're going back in time a bit now. We're jumping all over the place. This is the very nature of, of, <laughs> of the, this podcast. It's very loose and unstructured, so do do forgive me that. But just talk, just tell me how important that win was and how mm-hmm. you were feeling on the day because it was a you were obviously riding really well, but it, you weren't necessarily expected to win that one. You weren't amongst the top list of favourites. So just talk us talk us through that race a little bit because that was. Um, uh, a real defining part of your career, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that definitely like opened the, the doors for things. And um, yeah, it was quite a warm day. Normally, I don't I don't like warm days uh, as a race day. Um, but yeah, I made, I can remember, obviously a big group got up the road, around 20 guys or so, maybe a bit more. Uh, but at first it was only 10 guys. And I think my cousin was there straight away. And then I can remember my group that bridged across. I felt terrible when we you know, made that effort, you know, to bridge across to the front of the race. And then just as, yeah. as the race went on, um, it's a big group, everyone's rolling through. So everyone's taking the turns easily. And I can just remember thinking the last time up the rails because they're, they're pretty steep hills. I was, I was just scared yeah. of, you know, getting dropped there, or like the likes of potentially Ben, um, attacking there. Um, or oh, I can't remember who else was in the, the group that day. Uh, I was just I was just scared of getting attacked there and getting dropped on the rail, so I just made sure I was you know up near the front front of the group or potentially on the front, you know, setting a pace basically. Got over those and I was like, oh, thank God. And then when we went on to the last uh, short loop, I can remember I was there was attacks coming and going, and uh, I got away in a little group and I was rolling through and someone told me to go a little bit easy, and I thought, oh, right. I'm feeling good here. You know, they're like right. other people are suffering in the group. And then I can remember back in the Madison days, what I used to do was uh, my last ever bottle in the race would be half Coke, half water. Got one of those from the okay. assistants. And I was like, this is, you know, that's my rocket fuel sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I was drinking that. And then, and then, yeah, I just felt even better. And yeah, went on the, went on the attack and um, yeah, just, I, uh, I think it was Roger Hammond. He he said some something to uh, I can't remember who won the Tour de Yorkshire in like 2017 or something. But I can remember after the race in an interview, he said that he told the rider, "Don't look back." You know, when he went on the attack to win the GC in the Tour de Yorkshire on the final stage, and I just kind of had that in my head, like, "Don't look back." And um, yeah, it wasn't until you know the last uh, 150 meters or so uh, I looked looked around and seen no one was there, and uh, and yeah, then burst into tears. <laughs> yeah, I know you did, mate. Well, I I did as well because uh, I, I was there in a little tent commentating, uh, and I know uh, Colin Sturgis was there as well, wasn't he? Doing, yeah, um, I think it was Colin was there as well. DS and he'd also won the championships. It's it's a very powerful. It's a wonderful. Obviously, everybody wants to win the nationals, babe. But it was particularly emotional. Don't know why it was, but it was a particularly emotional day. There was a lot of a lot of emotion, wasn't there? But uh, yeah, it's a very very special a special moment, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's um, all. I feel like all of my wins. You know, it's obviously you you don't. I don't win like every weekend or like every month or something like that so you know when you do win it's just it's just all that emotion all that you know hard training you've done just kind of all just comes out and uh you just you just have to soak it up and let your emotions yeah. flow don't you <laughs> yeah i think that's a do you know what it's a really really good point and i speak quite often to to riders especially riders who've been you know ridiculously successful at um, the highest level uh who never really get the opportunity to to really savor the wins. And I think it's, 
fundamentally massively important to let that emotion out you know mm. we talk about the mental health of other elite athletes and how much especially now at the the level that the sport is at which hopefully we'll go on to in a little while mate just the level of the pro peloton right now is seemingly insane but to to let for you to be happy and open to let that emotion come out yeah i, I think it's really really important because you do put in so much sacrifice and it's the reason i when I explain to people the beauty of cycling, why I like cycling so much, it is because of exactly that, whether it's an individual win that you get, which are rare generally for most riders, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, or if you get a, a team win as well, you work hard. But then when you look at all the sacrifices you make being on the road, the the ridiculously hard training, amount of times away from you, your family as well, and when you do get that success, it's, it's, it's all the sweeter, isn't it, really? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, 100%. You know, it's just... You know, yeah. When I do win, I, I normally do a big, big roar, and then yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe some <laughs> tears. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like it's just, it's just got to be done, and just yeah, just really enjoy it, and uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a mega feeling. Obviously, that's what, what, what makes you want to, you know, go and win again, and gives you that hunger. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, it's good. And, and what about the? Um the win that you had in Trobro-Leon last year, because that, that's a race that actually I've never ridden it, but I took the team when I was running the Sigma sports team back in the day, we we had a, a team that, that rode that with Tom last Dan Lloyd and stuff. Uh, they rode it and they absolutely loved it. And now you've gone on and won it. And it, it's one of those races, which has always been really respected, but every year it seems to be getting, you know, a, a bigger profile, doesn't it? Because of the unorthodox route, it's, it's not exactly gravel. It's more like farm roads, isn't it? I mean, it's a, tell us about that race. Cause that's a really, really intriguing race, which you won last year. But, um, um, why do you think that race is, has become so elevated and so well, uh, renowned? Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's got a lot of history in France. It's a, you know, obviously to French people, um, that they, they, you know, class it as kind of, you know, the, the second Roubaix, even though it's not got any cobbles, yeah. it's like on farm tracks, you know, and you used to win a, a pig back in the day. Uh, but now that just yes. the local, <laughs> the local Breton rider wins the pig. So, you know, it's got a bit yeah. of quirkiness to it. And um, it's a huge race for four people in Breton and, um, or Breton. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's just so different to anything else on the calendar. Just you you going up farm tracks, uh, starts off on a, you know, on the roads, and then you go out to the coastline. There could be a bit of wind there, and even some of the roads yeah. near the coastline, they they like sand. It just feels like a bit right. a bit of like a cyclocross race at some points, and then and then yeah, you go into the final loops around the farm track and things. You go through like this tin tunnel, uh, and then you've got all the crowd there and. Oh, it's just epic. You, you obviously you need you need luck on the day, and that Trobro Leon was actually my first you know kind of professional point one or point HC road race I ever did when I did it with Madison Genesis back in 2017. Right. So okay, I came away from that race and I back on the Madison. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I did a write up after the race. You know, kind of like my first. What I, my first thoughts of the race and you know my first pro race and I can remember how I was like mesmerized with the helicopter live TV yeah. race radios using Brilliant. those for the first time and then with all of that it's like this epic race as well you know dirt tracks and oh it's just crazy and uh, I was I think I finished like 34th or something like that in my first ever time there and I came away from that race and 
I went and ate at then my cousin's house a couple of weeks after and I, t- I was telling him about it. And I can remember when I sat down with him at the meal, I says, I, I think I can win that race one day. And this is back in 2017. Um, blimey, blimey. And, uh, you know, just because it was one of those, like my first pro race and I knew it wasn't like top, top level in the sport, but I was just like, just so amazed by it. And obviously I did a good ride my first ever time there. And I was like, I think I can win that race one day. And then the second time I rode it, I was national champion. Uh, things didn't go my way. My, my seat pin, you know, slipped a good six centimeters. So I, I made one of the God. winning moves, um, but then my, my legs just gave, gave way. And then, um, yeah, so I was a bit annoyed the second time I rode it. And then the third time round, yeah, obviously, uh, I won it. And, uh, it's quite funny because the, the, the third time round I r- raced the nationals third time ever. That's the time when I won it. Um, so, nice. you know, like special races, like, kind of like the third time round I, I seem to have a bit of luck there so uh so yeah it's just it's, it's yeah it's just epic it was a mega day it i mean I, I saw it on on the television and i think well i saw bits of it because i remember i think do you know what i might have been on the giro yes i was because i messaged you and i was with ned yeah and i saw you'd won and i watched it i was watching it on my phone and i gave you a bell about an hour after we had a chat in the car do you remember yeah 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 and, and, and me and ned just won it because we saw you'd won it we thought we've got to give him a call yes and um uh, I, I, oh that was that's it, it is a cool race and if um most people would have, would have heard of this race now it's, it's just uh, the status has been elevated but mate let, let's be really honest about that race in terms of you near it was close, wasn't it? Because you put your arms up, didn't you? Yeah. And it was a it was a photo finish at the end. I mean, you won it, plain and simple. But um, and you did let out one of those roars, but it was close, wasn't it? Flipping out, that was close. Yeah, yeah. I was in the last ten k or so. Obviously, I was in that group of four guys, and the DS kept on telling me to attack and go solo. And I kept on. I, I tried a couple of times, but the wind was kind of like a headwind, and I just couldn't get that you know, a gap to snap the elastic with the other guys I was with. And I felt the, sure. I felt the strongest guy there. And when I knew that I couldn't, you know, get away from, from these guys, I was like, I'm just going to have to back myself in the sprint. And the DS told me the wanted guy was the fastest guy uh, there. So watch him. And yeah. I knew the finish line. It's like a ever so gr- gradual drag uphill. Uh, so I was like, that suits me. And I've also got to go long, you know, to, that, that suits me yeah. too. So I can remember sure. around 300 to go, uh, I was w- just watching the wanted guy. And as soon as he looked left and wasn't like looking ahead or at me, I was like, that's it, just got to go. I went yeah. and I could sense the coffee disc guy on my left and I was riding towards the, I was riding near the barriers. And I didn't close the door on him because I was, I just that split second in my head, you know, sprinting, I thought, oh, potentially you could get disqualified. But I, I, sh- yeah, yeah. I should have closed the door, but I didn't. And uh, yeah. so I stayed, I kept my line, went all the way to the line. And as I was sprinting, I like looked down and I couldn't see anyone to my left or right. And I was like, oh, I've got them. And then obviously yeah. before the line, celebrated. And literally as soon as my arms extended, uh, there was a confidence guy to my left, a wanted guy to my right. And I was like, <laughs> oh, sh- I've, just, I've just lost that. <laughs> literally, I'd literally just extended yeah. my arms, just about to cheer. And I was like, shh. I've just lost it. Crossed the line, went to the Swanee. I was shaking my head, saying to this, they they were celebrating. I was shaking my head. I was like, right. no, 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 I've not won. A minute passes. My teammates come to me. They're all celebrating. And I'm like, no, 
literally guys I've not won and I'm trying to explain to them I celebrated (laughs) I celebrated too early and I'm like seriously I don't think I've won I don't think I've won and then I'm getting told to wait for the photo finish and I'm like oh no I'm literally like gutted and as soon as I heard it over the microphone that I'd won just let out this massive roar and it was just more it was more relief than anything because I really thought I'd chucked away that you know first big like pro win and um, yeah, yeah I never, I won't make that a mistake again. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was close, mate. I mean, um, looking at the photo finish, it was a centimeter, wasn't it, or less than that Whoa. in the end? But you won it, mate. And it was, uh, it was, um, yeah, great. I mean, just look at some of the names. I mean, the podium was, um, it was Alligat, Pierre Alligat, and uh, Baptiste Plancart, who was super quick, isn't he? Yes. Second and third, Legac, Tiller. Dagan Kolb, sixth, Oliver Narsen, seventh, Laporte, ninth, Gilbert, eleventh. It was a solid field, wasn't it? Um, so it's a, that's a, a really, really big a big race to get on your Palmares, mate. But, um, well, we're going to move on, actually. Um, we're going to move on from uh, Brittany um, and Trobro Leon to, to somewhere called Doncaster, mate, because it's time yes. for the Doncaster quiz. <laughs> yo, yo. What's up? You're ready? Uh-huh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Doncaster quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, um, our, our man Niall, who, the producer of, of the podcast, All Things Pod, um, spends weeks on, on these these jingles. I mean, what do you think? Are you impressed by that, mate? That is some serious, you know, jingling. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. It is. Yeah, I mean, what we what we could there you go. What we could pro- probably do um, as, as a little freebie, uh, we'll probably send you that, and you can have it as a ringtone. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? We'll sort that out at the end. I mean, maybe we should give that to every single podcast guest we, we get, and you can have the quiz jingle as a ringtone. I wonder what the French would think of that. They'll probably think you're bonkers. But anyway, um, you so you were born and what well, you you're born near Doncaster, weren't you? But you were, you were brought up in and Donny, weren't you? Um. Brought up in Doncaster, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it as that. <laughs> okay, mate, okay, 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 mate, right, okay. Well, I've got four Doncaster-based questions, loosely based around Doncaster, mate, okay. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot because they're multiple choice, so if you're not sure, you can have a punt, yeah? Lovely, so, um, lovely. Here we go, mate, so are you are you sitting comfortably? Your phone's off, no, no cheating allowed, I'm not, I, I know you would never do that, mate, but just making sure that the rules are clear. Yep, no problem. Okay. Right, first up, I might move these questions around, actually, because I'm, I'm... No, okay, yeah, let's do... So, question number one. Okay. Connor, what is inscribed under the Doncaster coat of arms? So, there's a coat of arms that most cities and towns have in places. Um, what is inscribed as the logo, okay? Is it A, hear, see, and be thyself free, okay? Is it B, be strong, resolute and godly is it c be steadfast or is it d go forward so what is written on the donny coat of arms here see and be thyself free be strong resolute and godly be steadfast or go forward what do you reckon mate? Uh, i'm gonna go with a for that one here see and be thyself free yeah yeah it's not, I'm afraid, oh, mate. No, it's yeah. not. I made that one up. Yeah, um, I made all of them up, apart from Be Steadfast. So Be Steadfast is underneath. But I quite... Um, hear, see, and be thyself free. That's a, 
That's I quite like the ring of that because it's it's quite cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's powerful. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. It was like you know, it needs to be a, a bold, <laughs> powerful statement. And yeah, yeah, bloody hell. If there was maybe a, a, sw- a swift family coat of arms, you could you can have that for free, mate. Seriously, he'll <laughs> see and be the self free. You, you you and Swift, uh, the other the other Swift, um, Ben, um, flying the flag for Donny. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> okay, uh, to question number two. Okay, right. <laughs> this might be my favourite one, actually. Right. If you type in Greg's Doncaster into Google, how many Doncaster Greg's pop up? <laughs> Bloody hell. So, if you type in Greg's in, into Doncaster into Google, uh, how many pop up? Is a it A? It, yeah, is it A, 11, B, 12, C, 13 Greg's in Doncaster, or D, 14 Greg's? So, how many is reckon? 11. 12, 13 or 14 and there's a list that pops up with it. Some of them are just on the outskirts but basically there are either 11, 12, 13 or 14 branches of Greg's on Google if you type in Doncaster and Greg's. Doncaster's a big place. I'm going to go for the it is. I'm going to go for the highest answer because I can think of four or five Greg's just off the top of my head. Not that I go there all the time but um, yeah, I'm going to go for the highest answer 14. <laughs> I'm afraid it's 13, oh. mate. You were nearly right. Mm. Oh, so, you so I just the, put that you in. You put the numbers yeah. too close together. You only put one between them. <laughs> I know I did. Yeah, that's a bit, a bit, bit tight. Sorry about that, mate. Um, you're not doing too well, oh, but I tell you what, yeah. you can redeem yourself. You can redeem yourself by telling me what you last bought when you went to Greg's. What did you have? Did, have? did you have a cheeky little coffee? Did, did you have, because they do porridge, don't they? Or did you have one of those um, vegan sausage rolls that everybody's been raving about? No, I had, um, <laughs> I can remember because it was only the other month. And I said to my girlfriend, <laughs> I said to my girlfriend, oh, I've not been Greg's in ages. And um, I bought a, a steak bake and some of those, because she's gluten free, uh, the yeah. those little square brownie things. So yeah, we went for it. Brilliant went for stuff. a steak bake. Classic, isn't it? Absolute classic. And you've just scored a point for that. I mean, a steak bake in Greg's. I mean, that is Greg's, isn't it? It defines Greg's. I mean, other other obviously uh, high street bakeries are available, um, but um, steak bake, absolute perfection, mate. And was it? Was it? Did you eat it straight away? Did you take it home? Did you walk whilst eating out the bag, or did you sit down somewhere? Um, we went in the van, and obviously I felt the temperature, and you don't like to. You know, take a bite and then burn the top of your roof off. Do you? So I left it for a little bit, and then it <laughs> was technique. like, it, then it was that nice. You could eat it all in one. You know, like so. I think I oh, left it a good ten man. minutes, and then yeah, then yeah. didn't have any problems. Brilliant stuff. What? What? It's nice to get some insight into the tactics of eating a steak bake out of, <laughs> out of crates, mate. Brilliant tangent to go off on. They're absolutely superb. So you've actually scored a point because of your your detailed feedback, mate. And I knew you'd beat the Gregs. I mean, I, I just thought you might. Right. Okay. Question number three. Right. So, Connor, which famous mint sweet was made in Doncaster during the mid twentieth century? So, which famous mint sweet? Okay. Was it? A, Polos, B, Mori Mints, C, Fox's Glacier Mints, or D, Altoids. You know, the little tin with the tiny ones in that are really strong. So, um, which famous mint sweet was made in Doncaster during the mid-20th century? Polos, Mori Mints, Fox's Glacier Mints, or Altoids? You're really putting me under pressure, aren't you? Come back in the day. I am. I'm going to go for, the, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for those ones that are in a tin. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I've never heard of him before, but you know, you're talking 20th century. You know, your polo's come in some fancy packaging now, so he's got to be in a tin back in the day now. Okay. Um, oh, mate, it's incorrect. It's not old times. It's Murray Mint, mate. Oh, I was thinking oh, the Murrays. Oh, mate. Yeah, I mean that they were made that in the 40s my... and 50s, oh. actually. Was that your second? Was that your second that, choice? That was what I was. As soon as you said it, I was like, I don't know why I thought of. What's that? Is it Morris Minor, that car? Is it? Yes. There, yeah. <laughs> well, I know it. What, why did you think... What, what, why, why did you link a Morris Minor to Murray Mintz? <laughs> I, know it's, it, I know it's not the same word, but it's just, it sounds a little similar. I just thought, oh, that, that's old. And then I was like... Yes. I, I just, it just clicked. I should have gone with my instinct. You should have gone with that. I mean, that's. I'll be honest with you, mate. It's a, it's a fuzzy logic you got there, but I like your style because it would have. You would have won you the point, but unfortunately, you went for altoids, um, which is the wrong answer. So look, you've still got a point because of your state baked detail. But we've got a final question here to get right, okay? And this is this is a corker. This is yeah. And this is a this is true. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful question, and and here it is. Question number four from the Doncaster quiz. Okay, in 1956 at Doncaster Funfair a goldfish was won as a prize. Now, this little fish lived until the ripe old age of 43 and in the process became the world's oldest goldfish. But what, Connor, was the goldfish's name? Okay. Oh. <laughs> so in 1956, uh, a fun, at a fun fair, a goldfish was won, which lived to the age of 43. And at the time, was a world record, the oldest goldfish um, ever. Um, was it called A, Fishy Little, B, Tish, C, Bish, D, Lord Byron. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! <sighs> so, oldest goldfish in the world from Doncaster, which I think is on its own, is brilliant. Um, fishy little Tish, Bish, Lord Byron. Oh. Final question, mate. Take your time. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be Tish. Correct Mundo, mate. Yes. It's Tish. Yes, yes, indeed. Back of the net. <laughs> there we go. Get in. <laughs> what, what, what led you to Tish? It just sounds... Well, I thought the first one was a bit too trying to be finding Nemo, so I thought you might have made that one up. Yes, uh, yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought the Lord one. I was like, oh, they're not going to call something Lord in Doncaster in the fifties. <laughs> and then Tish and okay, Tish and Bish. Obviously, it was just a toss up between them, the two. And I was like, Bish. It can't be Bish. It's got to be Tish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, mate, it's great to hear the logic of working it out. That's, yeah. So, yeah, you got a point. So you actually got 50% of the Doncaster quiz. Let's have a round of applause from our live studio audience. Great stuff. Oh, mate, that was... <laughs> I have, do you know what, mate? I have so much fun doing these these little quizzes. I spend about an hour on the internet finding this the weirdest stuff about towns. It's, it's, it's great, but well done. Thanks for getting properly stuck into that, mate. No problem. So back to, back to the here and now. And um, what I'd like to ask you before we wrap things up is get into a little bit of detail about we, we see the, the modern peloton you're, you're there in the modern peloton riding for one of the, the big teams um in the service of one of the biggest riders in the sport Nara Quintana you've you've ridden the Tour de France on a couple of occasions you've had big wins yourself but as a as a commentator of the sport and somebody who loves it and as somebody who talks about it um for a living 
and also reads a lot about it. Everybody seems to be talking about the level that the sport is at across the, you know, men and women, that it's just the intensity of the racing, the unpredictability of the racing, the emergence of these the young talents that are ripping races apart. I mean, what is it like, Connor? Um, and you're still a pretty pretty young man. You've, you've been riding at this level for three years. But have you seen a change over the last couple of years in particular in, in just the, that, that the high standard in the, in the modern peloton? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. You know, kind of before, you know, you've got these – you've got these big names and they'd be winning. And, um, oh, I don't know that I, I don't really know how to put it. They've, they've been winning for years and years. Whereas now you've got people that come up and, uh, the level's so high and just like different, different people are, you know, winning, but also the big, the big, big favorites, uh, for example, Van Aert, Podjica, Roglic, uh, Evan Paul, all the, these guys, you know, yeah. when they're, Pretty much when they're in a race, you that it's locked on that they're potentially one of them's going to win, uh, yeah. and that's that that's just crazy because they're just so so bloody good, basically, <laughs> so bloody good. Yeah. But I'd I'd say yeah, the, the peloton has changed in the way that kind of like in the way that teams are now, you know, looking for different riders. They they're going right down into like the youth junior ranks and you know signing yeah. them into into the world tour when. Uh, obviously I've not been pro that long, but I know that before, like you'd go Neo pro, you'd get a couple of years under your belt and then potentially you'd, you might get the odd opportunity. Whereas now you've got people coming from junior or under 23 level straight into like leadership roles and grand tours and, and things like that. And it's, it's just crazy how kind of like young, younger the Peloton's getting. Um, and, you know, yeah. teams trying to find the, you know, the next big, big star from, uh, quite a lot from just numbers compared to, you know, yeah. what they've actually won at junior or under 23 level. Like obviously if you're winning at those sort of levels, like they're the, the signing you up, but like quite a few signings are like done off a, off a Watts and things like that. And I just think it's crazy. Right. I mean, it's, I, I guess to play the devil's advocate a little bit, I, get, I guess they're looking at, just that the pure physiology and that the, the racecraft and stuff um, is something they can learn. If they don't learn, they'll just try and find somebody else. They're, I guess they're, they're drilling down and, and looking at it because I, we understand now in terms of training, um, nutrition, everything, all, all the other impact factors as well, that we, we understand more and more about human physiology and getting the best out of people. And, and quite clearly, as you just you know, quite eloquently described, um, we're looking at younger and younger riders all the time to try and find that talent and, and get and, and get the most out of them. But I guess there's um we don't know how how long these riders are going to go on for as well because it's such a new phenomenon, isn't it? That is, it, do you think there's there's a concern that they might burn out too quickly as well, finding them too young? Although they're they're able to perform, do you think them? I mean, I'm asking you a bit of a guess. This is because nobody really knows. Do you, do you think there's the possibility they'll be around as long as some of the riders who came up through the ranks with a steadier progression, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, because when you're winning, when you're winning races, you know, the, the paychecks are pretty, pretty grow, you know, quite, quite fastly and quite yeah. bigly. And, um, especially the, the young guys that are coming into this, you know, signing these new deals at world tour, uh, you know, they're getting paid a lot of money and I don't know if that kind of, they're not working. They're kind of not working towards potentially, you know, 
feel like the pressure's off a little bit and can relax a little bit. Whereas, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just a tough one, isn't it? Like, it's not all about money yeah. at the end of the day. Like, you ride your bike, you enjoy your bike, you want to win races. So I feel like for a lot of people, that's that's the main goal. Um, but potentially there is yeah. some 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 people that are, are signing, you know, quite big contracts at a really young age and potentially that that's not their mindset and they might relax a little yeah. and and then they might not have such a long career. But also I feel like this this new way of, you know, looking really younger is, is kind of disregarding people that um, get better as they mature compared to, you know, being instantly like good. Uh, For for example, myself, like I can remember as a junior, I was terrible as an under, like as a first year under 23, I was shocking. Well, not shocking, but just like, I was like nowhere near what like these guys are doing now. And I feel like I'm developing and getting continually getting you know stronger and stronger year in year out so i would say i'm maturing in the sport and getting better as i'm getting older compared to you know being 20 21 and you know being able to win a bloody world tour race straight off the bat it's uh, Mm. potentially like different guys that progress at different levels are you know being disregarded and aren't aren't yeah it's it's a tough one to to uh I don't know, think about. It's interesting, <laughs> that, yeah. It is. It's an interesting one because it's that the sport looks and feels very, very different. Um, and the more pros that I speak to, I'm in contact with pros you know, pretty regularly, they're, they're just um, amazed, although they're very experienced, just about the intensity of the racing as well, the speeds that, that we're riding at. Look at the, obviously, we know there's a lot of reasons why the speeds are up because the bikes are a lot more aero and the equipment, et cetera, just, but also riders are, stronger um, oh. and they're getting more and more out and and, and just and just on that note actually Connor, are, are, who are you coached by and, and how does your your coaching work is it with is it from within the team or is it external um what's the coaching and what's the um what's the level of of involvement in relation to your physical development like from the team um yeah so i'm actually still coached by um kev dawson that has coached me since. Oh right, okay. I know Kev. Yeah, yeah. Me, me and Kev have crossed swords many, many times. Yeah, he's, he's say hello to him been, when you see him next. Yeah, I will do. He's been coaching me for a good six six years, maybe longer now. Um, right. And he obviously lives close to me. He knows what the local chain gangs are like. You know, I, I call him up, just have a general chat with him, and then we do lactate tests in his garage with the old Kai home trainer. Uh, right. Oh, it's great. It's mega. <laughs> Proper like old school sort of guy, and um, yeah, we, we've got a really good relationship now. And I can remember, I think it was last year, the team, the teams always kind of overlooked the training via training peaks, but last year they wanted to get more involved, so they actually assigned me a coach, and then had had Kev overlook and just someone that I could speak to. But um, okay. the person that I got assigned was was French, and uh, don't get me wrong, there was there was nothing wrong, but there just wasn't that relationship there. And um, sure, you know, if if you have a rubbish session, it's kind of like hard to get across to someone that doesn't necessarily speak uh, your language. Um, it was hard to get across like what the actual feelings were after the session and during the session and things yeah. like that. So I actually. Yeah. spoke with the team and I said, oh, look, can, you know, everything was going all right when I was working with Kev. Uh, can I go back 
go back to that. And they was really accept- accepting of that and kind of switched again. So Kev started coaching me and the team was just overlooking on training peaks. And then that's kind of when last year, um, straight off the back, I, I think I spent four weeks training with Kev and then I went on to win Trobro, went and did the tour, went and won Poitou Chirance. And potentially it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just Kev's training. Potentially it was just, you know, that, that relationship that you've got with a coach that you've known for a long time and you know you're both bouncing off of each other potentially it was it was that that you know clicked and um yeah it's not it's not just all about you know those training sessions sometimes it's other thing other factors that you know play a big role also oh massively uh, it's really interesting i was chatting a couple of weeks back another couple of lads don't live too far from donny obviously that the downings about relation and, and dean in particular about his relationship with with, with ben tullet for example mm. you know um um so he's he's coaching riders and, and a lot of riders in world tour teams are there are some teams who have a um they just will be coached internally and, and that's it but for some riders that doesn't necessarily work and it's and what what's refreshing and what's clearly good and is the fact that your team have allowed you They've seen how you've how you've done with 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 Kev, and the fact they've tried something new, it's not quite worked. But then, have actually, it's it's quite contrary to the attitude in French teams that I had when I was. You know, this is thirty years ago. This they could be seen to be quite um, insular. Yeah, yeah. But clearly, the um, when you deliver those sorts of results, the, the fact they trust you as well. So you've got this place in the team, respected. You're you're obviously you, you ride in the service of others a lot, but you're given your own leader status as well. That's that is massively important and even more important as you say is that relationship and and trainings sometimes understanding your own body and, and the way it reacts to training load and races and and the other impact factors like you know things going on at home within your family there's so many things at play and and if you've got a trusting relationship with a coach um you can get all that you don't mind so you, you can really open up your heart can't you and say look i don't know what's wrong but this is going on or how about you know i think i might need a bit of a rest of just a little bit burnt out and yeah. having that honest conversation is the only way to, to get the most out of somebody, isn't it? Uh, for, for me anyway. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I've been working with Kev for so long now, like, uh, kind of like sometimes I, I, I call him or text him and I'll say, Oh, what, what I'm thinking training wise. So I, I know what he's going to set me. So it's like, Oh, today, uh, do this, this, some efforts there, some efforts there. And then it's just kind of just having that reassurance that we're you know we're both on the same wavelength and potentially I could yeah. I could like plot my training now just myself and it'd be exactly yeah. what Kev had planned me as well. It's just it's strange because we're just on That's cool. we're on a good click and he, like even Kev like he's not uh, he's he's on my training peaks now but um, only like this past year and before that he he wasn't on training peaks or anything. He just sent me like a word document of like a four week plan. And then we just speak weekly yeah. sort of thing. And I'd always come to the races on my training peaks, you know, like there's a, there's your form thing. And that had always been the sort of the number where I'd feel good. And obviously he, he doesn't even see any of that uh, well before. So we all like, it's, it's good to sit, to have known, you know, like on training peaks where it says like your form and things like coming up to a race day, like where it should be at and where I felt good. Mm. And he'd, he'd plan it to that without even, without even knowing um but yeah right. it's just it's just nice having that relationship there yeah it's to, to have that um almost endorsement and that understanding it's just it's um no it's, it's good and and yeah seriously um if anybody if any of you are listening and think well who's Kev Dawson well, Kev Dawson was a contemporary of mine back in the day he's probably about 50 52 or something like that similar age but he was um 
won some big, big races. Great time trialist as well, wasn't he? And I believe, isn't Kev still doing triathlons or something? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's doing like triathlons he loves and it, he? marathons, but he's, he's now getting into all these, those wacky, wacky stuff like ultra ultra endurance events like gravel races and all that sort of stuff so he's mad (laughs) well i remember we were riding the tour of britain back in the day um and we this is back in the 90s when sock length was most people had pretty short socks and me and kev had a competition we thought we're going to go long for this race i don't (laughs) know how we got hold of the long socks i remember us having a a competition in the Tour of Britain at who could have the longest socks. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it was amazing. Um, That's great. Yes, it's really weird. We were way, we were way ahead of our time. So yeah, just mention that yeah. to him. I think it was not uh, 98, something like that. And we rode on the same team together. We rode on the Harrods team together. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, great, great lad. But a uh, proper hard man, isn't he, as well? He's really, but, but a lovely, but really just, a, yeah, lovely bloke, lovely bloke. But uh, so looking ahead, to the rest of the year, what have you got planned after Milan San Remo? Do you know um, if you've got a place in the a, a, a predetermined spot in the tour? So, what does the rest of the, the year look for you? Look look like for you, Connor? Yeah, so after San Remo, I have like a ten day sort of break, just like recover a little bit, you know, for a couple of days, and then just leading into that like final classic stage with Dwarves, Dwarves, Vlaanderen, Tour of Flanders, yeah, Amstel, sure. Brabant. Paris Roubaix, uh, so that's a you know solid block of races there. <sighs> that's pretty solid, yeah. Um, yeah. So do them, uh, yeah. Hopefully, you know, go, go well in them, and then and then after that, I've got about four week block of no races. First race back right. will be Trobro Leon, um, yep. which yeah, I'd be I'll be super motivated for, um, and then I'll go into uh, that other uh, gravelly race that's in Belgium. Um, Oh, oh, is it Hagland? Yes. Dwarves Hagland. Then I'll do that Dwarves yes. Hagland, and then I'll do the Belgium tour. Um, yep. And then before those two, around that sort of time, I might do a, a training camp potentially in the mountains somewhere. Um, and then all being well, um, hopefully I'll I'll go to the go to the tour basically. So um, yeah, all being well, hopefully. Fantastic. Yes. So I can imagine a, a third tour potentially, mate. Well, I tell you what, Connor, it's been. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, my favourite bit, I think, was the steak bake, I'll be honest with you. Um, the, the cycling stuff, interesting enough, but the steak bake analysis was something uh, beyond. It, it really, really was, mate. But you take care. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving us your time, mate. And um, it's given us a really interesting insight into your, your career, what the team's like and stuff. And um, best of luck for the rest of the season. Yes, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. No problem. <laughs> That was so much fun chatting with Connor, and it's really quite interesting how late bloomers are potentially being overlooked nowadays. Which makes me think, maybe it's not too late for me to make a triumphant return to racing. (laughs) Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to anyone about to bite into a Greg steak bake, and potentially burn the roof of their mouth off. Give that pie a swift Connor, aka a 10 minute cooldown. Hmm. Finally, a massive thanks again. To- <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but we'll leave it in. Right. Finally, a massive thanks again to Connor for joining us on the podcast today. I do wish him a fantastic season ahead and hope he has indeed learned his lesson about celebrating too early. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.